Welcome, everyone, to Season 5, Episode 146 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. Yes, we did say it, Season 5. We are previewing the upcoming 2022-2023 Premier League season. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to mention 2022. Uh, doesn't It's just kind of crazy that it is 2022 right now, but we are approaching the season. We're recording this Thursday, August 4th. The season starts tomorrow. Um, August 5th, Arsenal are kicking off the brand new Premier League season against Crystal Palace. Um, So yeah, Arsenal kicking off the Premier League season. I feel like this is like the third year in a row they've done this. I know for a fact they did it last year, but I feel like Arsenal are kind of, they're kind of like the one team that always seems to like kick off the new season. I I swear like past four or five seasons, they've done it at least the majority of the time. But Arsenal are kicking it off um, this season. It's crazy because the season, the I guess the off season has gone by really fast, and it feels like there wasn't really an off season because there was preseason. Then you had like some random national league games going on at the same time. So I feel like the off season hasn't really been there. I feel like it's just everything has gone by super fast, and now we're back in the full swing of things, which is pretty wild when you think of it. It's it's been a little bit longer though, just because like at least for me, just watching like MLS games and having not much else in terms of sports to watch because like also like NFL is also done NBA finish. It's like, there's just nothing. So then it just <laughs> feels even longer because you don't have any other alternatives unless you watch like baseball. But I was like, man, I can't wait for it to come back. And there's been so many transfers since we has last had a pod. So yeah. that's going to shape up a lot of the top six as we're going to discuss a lot of what the relegation battle is going to look like. And also just what the kits look like, just what the new 2022 to 2023 Premier League kits are going to be like for this upcoming season. You finally yeah. get to see them and we'll see how it also will kind of mold where the season kind of is going to be interrupted by a World Cup midway, yeah. which is going to be a little weird. So we'll see how that in November. Yep. From November to like just straight up December is going to be a sprint for the World Cup. And then there's maybe, uh, maybe a week break and then they're back in action to finish off the rest of the season. So. That's yeah, so it'll goofy. be interesting to how this season goes because this will be like the first time things will take like an actual pause outside of that COVID season, which no one really expected. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of football this season and hopefully the players can keep up because yeah, there's just going to be so much football going on. But like Tyler mentioned, we wanted to kick things off with the transfers going on with our teams, obviously for Manchester United for me and then Liverpool for Tyler. Some big, um, I would say both teams have made some pretty big moves this summer. Uh, for Manchester United, obviously, before we ended last season, Eric Ten Hag was confirmed the new manager for Manchester United. Now he is f- fully at the helm with his full back staff, has had a preseason um, to kick things off for him. Actually did pretty well in the preseason tour. Um, lost the final game against Atletico Madrid and then drew against Crystal Palace, I believe. But well, other than that, the play, the brand of football, the players kind of looking happier and a little bit more joyful, getting the better getting the best out of like certain players preseason was pretty um pretty joyful i would say for most manchester United fans it was nice to see some good signs but they did make some couple signings here uh they signed tyro malasia hope i'm saying his name right a left back from psv who can also kind of play right back as well in emergency situations um and then they signed christian erickson on a free and then lisandro martinez the center back from ajax um coming in as the most expensive transfer for united right now um Lissandro Martinez, interesting one because I believe he's like 5'10 um, or 5'7. He's a pretty short like five, guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's like a five, pretty short guy. something like that. Yeah, he's a pretty short center back, so a lot of people were concerned about how will he fare in the Premier League given his height. But we have seen in the past there have been some really good center backs that have been very small. Obviously, I'm not saying he's going to be Fabio. Uh, it was like Fabio Cannavaro. Yeah, Cannavaro. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to be Cannavaro, but just because if if you're not super tall, like a gigantic figure as a center back that doesn't mean you can't be successful i'm going to be actually very interested to see how he plays but a theme here from eric ten Hag, a lot of the players are from the dutch his time working with them at ajax or from the dutch league so they kind of carry that same type of philosophy of playing out from the back playing total total brand of football so i'm excited i uh i think the come like the transfers we've had come in are pretty good i think there are still some glaring holes in the squad um particularly I would say we probably need another center midfielder, which we've been trying to get Frankie Young, but it's just been a long played out saga now that I just don't think will happen. I think we need to look for alternatives, but um, basically would love to have like a CDM or like a central midfielder come in to kind of help provide some depth there. But striker would also be nice, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen there because uh, in terms of the players that have left the club, obviously we knew that Nemanja Matic and Juan Mata were going to leave because they were announced that they were going to leave before the end of last season. Then Jesse Lingard and Paul Pogba left on free transfers and then Cavani also left on a free transfer. And then today they announced that Teles, Alex Telles has gone out on loan to Sevilla. So we've had a lot of people depart the club and I think we've done a decent job of kind of providing some good backup or good players for the future. Um, and then the biggest one is Cristiano Ronaldo. Big question mark looming around him because there is a chance that he's basically been wanting to demanded like a transfer request from the club since I would say middle of June or early July. It's kind of been publicly out there from all reports. And Jorge Mendes, his agent, has basically been trying to shop Cristiano Ronaldo to another club. He's gone from Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea. Bayern Munich and essentially all these clubs have in I would say some ways or less have rejected him uh, just in terms of like he doesn't fit the philosophy they can't afford the payments or the club's um, ownership or the fans wouldn't want Ronaldo to come in so now United are kind of left in this weird position because they've made it clear from the get-go that he's not for sale and now you know Ronaldo's kind of in this thing where he's kind of I guess, testing out how much power he can have. There was footage of him leaving a preseason game early along with some other players, Diego Dallo being included. Um, and Eric Ten Hong publicly came out saying he's not a fan of that and he doesn't think that was right. And, you know, Ronaldo's kind of just been on the spree of like looking very unhappy. And yeah, it's just a really awkward situation right now because we can tell Ronaldo wants to leave to play Champions League football, but Fortunately, no club that is playing Champions League football right now or no big club that could potentially win it wants his services right now. Um, and Manchester United are kind of stuck at this weird spot where, yeah, he's a legend, but you can't have someone, I guess, outwardly disrespecting or being very adamantly upset um, at the club because it just really brings everyone else uh, down. It's really bad morale for everyone else. So it's a really weird situation right now. I think it's also like the first time he's going to have to experience playing Europa League. If he ends up staying there, it's going to be like, hmm, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that. And I think it's also kind of just funky just because we saw like last season bringing Ronaldo in. It really does change up the tactics for just how an entire team plays. So wherever he goes, whether he stays at Manchester United or goes to another team, 
it's going to be a lot of just building around him. And I'm not sure if Eric Den Hog wants to do that. I see he has like, based on the players he did bring in this season already and like the players he already let go, he definitely has a vision that, I don't know, it's not really kind of shaped around just beating Ronaldo, but mm-hmm. we'll see. It's, he's still a Manchester United player. So regardless, yeah. it's not like you can, you, can, you can just bench him either. So that's going to yeah. be kind of interesting to see how this all kind of shapes out. But the one, the two players that I saw that kind of left that I felt like it's going to also be a big impact is just Jesse Lingard. How, how can you leave Messi Lingard <laughs> out of the team going to Nottingham Forest? And I think that's enough to keep him up in the Premier League, which I'll kind of go into later. And then Paul Pogba back at Juventus. That's going to be kind of interesting to see as well. I know he's kind of been a little rough the past couple of seasons, but that's also like just a big player just kind of just left. It's like, yeah. all right, he's out of here. And he's just one of like the biggest players at Manchester United at the time too. So a lot of the players that you mentioned, yes, from last year, like Matish Mata, they're just all gone now. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's going to be a very the continuation of Deadwood is just gone. Yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting one. I think I'm excited because I think this season also is pretty hopeful because a lot of players that had I would say pretty off years, you know, Marcus Rashford, Martial, Bruno Fernandez to an extent. Yeah, he had put up good stats, but overall, like every game, like he was still not performing probably up to his best. A lot of those players now kind of have a second chance and kind of a new revitalization, I guess, under Eric Ten Hag. And from what I've seen in preseason, the likes of Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Martial, Bruno Fernandez all look really sharp and look really um, like they're taking in Eric Ten Hag style. And I'm actually a big fan of it because, you know, I'm all here for... I guess the resurgence of Marcus Rashford specifically because he is one player that kind of fell off. I, I would say quite a bit when uh, Euro 2020 happened, obviously when he had the really harsh penalty miss and it costed, uh, you know, England the chance of winning the Euros. But when he came back that following season, you know, he struggled with injuries and also he just never looked like the same player that he was last season. And, you know, reports came out and obviously a bunch of articles came out that he was basically playing with, injections and injuries to kind of just like push through and you know basically write it out write out all these injuries now he's fully healthy he's got like a full full like full actual preseason under underneath him and I feel like this is the season to kind of show what he's about and get back to like that kind of level of being a um just a consistent star almost at Manchester United and I think he has that ability I think he just needs to have that confidence within him to showcase that and I'm really looking forward to that um but yeah it's the Ronaldo one is definitely a very interesting situation, but I would say overall the transfer window has been all right. I would, like I said, I think me included and other Manchester United fans, we would have hoped that you know we got another center midfielder in and possibly a striker and maybe um, a new a right back. But as for what we brought in, I, I think it's not too bad of a haul. Uh, I think this season will definitely be a lot of growing pains, but we'll also see a lot of the kind of ideas Eric Ten Hag had at IX kind of being implemented at Manchester United. Mm. I was going to ask what your expectations were based on all these transfers and how you're feeling, but I guess we'll go into that also when we kind of discuss who our top six will be in yeah. terms of like our preview. And that will be a little bit of a spoiler if we kind of say here, but I guess yeah. from that, then I will go into the Liverpool side where Liverpool also some pretty significant transfers in terms of players in and out. Because one of the top three, one of those front three players that we all know and love, that Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, and Roberto Firmino trio that's been there for like five seasons now in a row, 
Mane's gone. He went to Bayern Munich on mm-hmm. like a 30 million pound transfer. And it was pretty rough to see. It's interesting, at least from a Bayern Munich perspective, because he lost Lewandowski and now everyone and the front side of Bayern Munich is like all fast players. It's just like Mane, yeah. Kingsley Coman, Sané, and Alfonso Davies, if he wants to overlap. But I'm like, dang, that's going to be a little interesting to see. But in terms of filling in that hole for the Liverpool side, they got Darwin Nunez from Benfica. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how it goes because it's going to be a peer number nine. Although in the preseason and in the Community Shield match, we kind of saw him kind of float around in that kind of role that Klopp has for every single forward where it's kind of you just have an area and you just go back and forth. You always press from the top, win the ball up high, and then just counterattack from there. So you counter the counterattack. But for Darwin Nunez, last season, he was one of the top goal scorers in like the whole of Europe. He got... 34 goals in 41 matches and for that we definitely need to bring that back because Sadio Mane was one of the top goal scorers for the club last season so for me I was a little nervous I'm not gonna lie seeing Mane (laughs) leave and then bringing Darwin in I was feeling like it was gonna be a slight drop off in terms of just production just because Mane just knows the system so well he's such a prolific player and then it's really hard just to replace someone like that which is some up-and-coming player who had so far one really good season and not yeah. really that many other prolific seasons besides that. But in the preseason and in the Community Shield, which is the one game I feel like has been the one meaningful game, I feel like that's giving me some confidence. He scored one goal in that Community Shield game to help Liverpool win the Community Shield. But we got to just see how long he can kind of sustain that goal, kind of goal story, goal-scoring streak as we continue on, because if he hits a drought, it might be a lot of pressure on him to kind of rebound from that. And with that price tag of like 85 million pounds or like dollars, it's going to be a lot to kind of live up to. But he's not alone, though. He also has Fabio Carvalho, the Fulham transfer, which is not as a big, higher profile player. He's a youth player, 19 years old from Fulham, who is more of like a Felipe Coutinho type player, a pure, a pure playmaker which Liverpool, I feel like, haven't really had for a while. Ever since they got rid of Coutinho and also Adam Alana, most of their players they brought in have been kind of more center mids, like uh, Thiago, who kind of go box to box at times or play a little bit deeper. But mm-hmm. Fabio Carvalho, I feel like he's a little bit higher up. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how he kind of develops into this team and how Klopp plays him because I don't really see him dropping too far deep. I think he's going to be up here number 10, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And although last season at for the championship side, he did all right. He scored, I think, 10 goals. But, I mean, we're going to have to see how he does in the Premier League because it's a whole step up. And I don't think yeah. he's going to be starting many games, but I think he's going to be getting some meaningful minutes off the bench or at least in some cup games. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the last one, Calvin Ramsey, the right back. He's kind of just the right back backup for Trent. Uh, Nico Williams also departed the club this this past summer. And, you know, they're just kind of just backup players, more squad depth. And, you know, God forbid, if anything happens to Trent, we'll need another right back. But <laughs> we'll see if anything special kind of happens. Because, like, for example, like, Christos Samikas for the left back, the backup Greek scouser over there for um, Robertson. I feel like if Robertson, God forbid, also went down, it wouldn't be too much of a drop-off having Samikas in. I feel like he's really impressed me in the time he's been at Liverpool, coming off the bench or even playing a starting role in these big cup matches and even scored one of the main penalties in one of the uh, cup finals. I believe it was for 
the FA Cup. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> that kind of tenacity and that kind of confidence, I feel like it gives me hope. And I feel like yeah. this kind of squad depth is something that's going to be crucial because not only did um, Nico Williams leave, but also the man, the the main Liverpool legend, Divock Origi, left on a free transfer to AC Milan. And that's a big hole to fill. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen there because I was thinking, it's like, well, at least we have Minamino, but he also left. He went to AS Monaco. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty bummed about that. I'm wearing my uh, Minamino jersey right now for all the audio listeners right now, but I'm just shedding a <laughs> tear seeing my man go. I mean, he was a really good role player, a really good sub, and Divock Rhee, of course, is a legend, but we're going to have to see who steps up to those other roles and becomes that kind of rotational backup. I guess it would be Firmino, just because Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunez, and Mo Salah seem to be the front three right now if we were to put the strongest starting 11. Mm-hmm. But even then, like I don't know. Because like Oxlad as well, he was also on his way out, but he also picked up an injury. And you can't... I don't think you can transfer a player that's injured. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you could have passed the medical. That's something that's also kind of something to think about. So I guess it'd be like Firmino, Fabio Carvalho, and like a few other mm-hmm. players. Maybe someone from... Like Harvey Elliott, but I think Harvey's playing a little bit deeper. But besides that, uh, I believe also Karius is also on his way out too. So yeah, a lot of memes, a lot of legends, a lot of players I have a little dear to my heart. Left core Klopp squad is gone. Yeah, core Klopp. Like these players, and you think of them, it's like those are Jurgen Klopp Liverpool players, and just seeing them all go in this one summer transfer window, it's kind of rough. Klopp did re-sign a contract extension at the end of last season so he's gonna be here for a little longer but it's gonna be interesting to see this kind of new phase of the next generation i feel of liverpool players because after seeing like luis diaz and darwin Nunez come in it's gonna be interesting to see how liverpool do this season and with dark with luis diaz at least he gives me a little hope because we saw in the last season he just slotted right in it was it was like as if he was already been there for a few seasons at liverpool and he Mm -hmm. just meld mesh so well with the Liverpool side and just the tactics and for Darwin it's looking like it's looking like a match made in heaven as well but mm-hmm. we can't really tell until we start seeing more games and getting some more data on it but it, it is one of those you know shed a tear moments this this past summer it's like man end of an era but yeah it's hopeful for the for the future for what's to come yeah the Darwin Nunez transfer is definitely the most interesting one because I feel like that's the first time I guess in Jurgen Klopp's reign, they've splashed major cash at a big attacker. Yeah. Because Mo Salah was expensive, but he also wasn't too expensive. And he was kind of established as like he would be a solid player. This is like the first time Klopp has kind of just thrown, you know, kind of rolled the dice and kind of picked up an unknown almost for like big money. You know, this is not typical Liverpool strategy when it comes to these transfers. Usually if they do get like a Darwin Nunez, it's more of a no one's heard of him. So he's really cheap or like semi cheap. So that way, Mm -hmm. like he kind of goes under the radar, but they've never really been the type of team that be in for the hypest hype, like the biggest hype player and then actually get him. It's kind of been like a more of a Manchester United signing or Man City or possibly Chelsea is very rarely, at least since Klopp's been there has Liverpool kind of been like the most hype youngster. Let's get him and see what happens. Yeah. It's a lot of criticism he's getting about it too, because yeah. you know a few seasons ago, famously he would, I think he quoted, 
I, I'm not the type to, you know, going for like the big name, big money players. Like I, I wouldn't yeah. do that. And then like a few seasons later, it's like, all right, 85 mil getting Darwin. <laughs> it's yeah, like I definitely, I, I definitely think, cause I think that happened before, I think that happened after Holland was announced or the yes. Man City. So I feel like that was also a bit of a pressure play where Klopp kind of saw like, okay, if Man City of Holland, we need at least someone that could not mm-hmm. go toe to toe because I feel like Holland obviously is still better than Nunez right now at least, but at least give them a fighting chance that give them that little bit of something else because Man City now have Erling Holland and Julian Alvarez, who's also a really good Argentinian striker as well. Right, and I was thinking the same thing too. I think they saw that and they had to react, but mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to react that way. I was like, <laughs> I think also compounding Mane leaving too. They're like, all right, we yeah. got we got to get yeah, someone to get now. Someone. And there was not many that like, oh, there's not many attackers out there unless you wanted to get an, an aging Lewandowski, but he only wanted to go to Barcelona, so that was kind of out of yeah. the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, or just so the, a really young up and coming player that's just way too expensive. So I feel like Darwin, just based on the market right now, it's like Yeah. Somehow seemed reasonable. Supply <laughs> the supply, supply of young demand. like starlet strikers was not there. So demand mm-hmm. went pretty high. Um, but yeah, I think I think Liverpool have done decently well. I think uh, obviously they've had some pretty big departures, but I think they are taking some big chances with the the people they brought in. But if if they work out, it ends up being a net positive for them because all these guys are really young. So if they do turn out to be good, they have them for longer periods of time rather than trying to replace them with well known proven players who are kind of ending or getting to the peak or ending the peak of their careers. So yeah, I think Liverpool have done decently well and they've kind of set themselves up to be perennial title challengers once again, which I guess kind of leads us into our next topic, the um, famous top six prediction um, section. Um, I guess I'll start it off. Um, this one, I guess is not too surprising. I don't have too many surprises on, on this one, but um, I have Manchester city, unfortunately doing the three Pete for the Premier league. I think them signing Erling Holland, having Julian Alvarez, you know, yeah, they lost Raheem Sterling, which is big. They also lost Sinchenko. They also lost um, Gabriel Jesus, which are, you know, Sterling for the one is like a huge piece. But, you know, it's Pep Guardiola. It's Manchester City. They've shown in the past that they can lose people left and right and still be fine. They still have some really great players and a lot of good depth on that team. So I think they'll be fine. Liverpool, I think I have them finishing second. I still think they're really good, obviously. Uh, but I, I I just think that City with Holland just kind of takes them a, a little bit above there. And then for third, um, third is actually kind of, now that I'm looking at it, I can actually flip-flop the people I have for three, four, and five. It's like kind of, it's always been back in my head which one I go for, which one I don't. Uh, but I think for third, I'm going to go back with Chelsea. I think Chelsea will finish third once again. I know there's been a lot of question marks about their transfer strategy, especially with the new owner, Todd Boheli, coming in and kind of just going interested in every single player out there in Europe, but they did sign Raheem Sterling, which is a huge player to get them uh, to get. And they also signed Khalidou Koulibaly, who if you would have told them three years ago, they were selling Koulibaly, like everyone would have freaked out. I still think Koulibaly is a really solid, good defender. Um, And Chelsea have shown that the likes of Thiago Silva being a center back, it doesn't really matter your age, as long as you have the awareness and kind of the ability to read um, read the game well. I think you can still be good. So I think they're pretty solid back there. They announced that Aspilicueta signed a new two-year deal, which is good because that's another leadership, uh, another leader back there in the defense. Midfield, some question marks there, but obviously they did um, let Romelu Lukaku go out on loan um, because 
ultimately a flop. I think that they need to figure out the striking uh, striker situation. I think if they can get a solid striker in or someone semi-decent to score a regular amount of goals, I think they'll basically solidify, solidify themselves for third place because I don't think playing Kai Havertz as like a false nine isn't doing him justice and playing him in his best spot. And also, it doesn't really... Um, basically pose a big threat for other people that are defending Chelsea because Timo Werner has shown that he just isn't up to this level. At least it hasn't worked out at Chelsea. Who knows where it could work out elsewhere. And then for fourth, I have Arsenal. I think Arsenal have retooled really well and they've picked up some really good players to fix a lot of the deficiencies they were having. They finally have, I think now, a reliable striker and they also have a striker in Gabriel Jesus who now has the opportunity to be the number nine at a club. I think we've always kind of joked around that, oh, when is Gabriel Jesus going to take the reins off um, Sergio Aguero and be like the number nine for Manchester City? But as we've seen with Pep Guardiola, he doesn't really care about playing with the number nine. He can just do whatever he wants. I think Gabriel Jesus, Mikel Arteta's played with them. I think um, it's just a really good match. And for what we've seen from preseason, he's gelled in perfectly. Zinchenko is a really good, solid defender and kind of midfield hybrid option that they picked up as well. Bukayo Saka looks like he's going to take another step. Emil Smith-Rowe, they just have a really young squad. They picked up a lot of good players, and I think they've retooled in the right areas that I think they can get back into Champions League football. And I have fifth for Tottenham. Like I said, I think three, four, and five can swap on any given day. But the reason I have fifth for Tottenham is because, yes, they have signed a lot of good players. But, um, and I know Antonio Conte is a really good coach, second season. You know, they're going to have Champions League football, Harry Kane. Everyone's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good vibe at Tottenham compared to last year. But Antonio Conte struggles a lot in the Champions League. And I don't know. I just have a feeling, yeah, they've signed good players. But I always feel like this summer window kind of reminds me of the windows, um, Everton has had in the past where you remember a couple of seasons ago, Everton would kind of have these crazy summer windows where they're like, Oh, they signed, they, they signed Davy Clausen. They signed that guy. They signed him. Like those guys used to be pretty big back in the day, or like they used to be some well-known like players. And I feel like Tottenham have kind of had that same window where they've signed Longley, who isn't that great of a center back anymore. You know, five years ago, four years ago, if you mentioned Longley, they'd be like, oh my gosh, how'd they get Longley? But obviously, that's <laughs> not the case anymore. Perisic is still a solid player, but he's obviously much older than he was, you know, three or two years ago. You know, they signed Basuma, who I think is a good midfielder. Um, and they've signed like a, a youngster, in, um, I think, to Jed Spence, or I feel like I hope I'm saying his name right, but a, a mm-hmm. youngster from Middlesbrough who shows signs of potential. And they did sign Richarlison, but I don't know. I just feel like, the their window there they had i feel like yeah it got a lot of like the hype but i feel like it has a really good chance of crashing really fast because those players could ultimately not end up living up to their transfer fees so that's why i've taught them at fifth and then unfortunately for myself i have my my beloved team manchester united i had them finishing sixth um i i just think right now i think the, the the teams that are above them are just a little bit better in terms of they've had a manager that's Set a, set a system in place, have the players in place. I think this will be another rebuilding year for Manchester United, obviously. But I, I do think um, what plagued Manchester United last season were the ebbs and flows of just like the really high highs and really low lows. I feel like with Ten Hag, it's going to be a lot more stable now, hopefully, um, where, yeah, we're going to probably have some little rocky starts here and there. But I feel like overall, 
it should stabilize and we should be able to pick up some results against the better teams um, and also show signs of life and potential and, you know, just basically showing that we're going in the right direction. So I don't think we're going to be good enough to get into the top four, but I also don't think we're going to be as horrendously bad as we were last season. I feel like we're going to stabilize a lot more with Ten Hog. So those are my top six. I know it was a long-winded answer, but that's what I got for uh, top six. So let's review. We got you. You got Man City first, Liverpool second, Chelsea third, Arsenal fourth, Tottenham fifth, and then Manchester United sixth. Yes. So of those six, I have the same six clubs, but in different <laughs> order. Yeah. So for me, I'm just going to say my six first and then just I'll just go explanations from there. So for me, I have Liverpool winning first. I think this, this is a title winning year. Yes, this is <laughs> this is going to be our season. Man City is going to be a close second. Tottenham, I have in third. I don't know if that's a hot take in 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then. Arsenal in fourth as well, because I was like, you know, it's time. It's time for Wenger, like notorious top four finish once again. He's going to come back this season. <laughs> and then Chelsea in fifth. And then your man, you also have in six. So <laughs> pretty similar. I would say like we flipped the first two and then of like the, between three and four, three, four and five. It's once again, also like you can just flip around anywhere. But I just have the yeah. specific order. So for me, my my kind of reasoning for this order is because for me, I feel like Man City is also going to be experiencing something kind of similar to Liverpool, where they're going to have a number nine, like a pure number nine for the first time in a long time. Like they've always had like a hybrid. And even with Sergio Aguero, he like he's a pure striker. But he's also, you know, like one of the more technical, agile kind of players. But Erling mm-hmm. Holland is very much like a brute force kind of big guy. He's a target <laughs> man. And yeah. we saw in the community shield at times his his touch kind of let him down, and he got a little unlucky with some of the finishes. He got a lot of opportunities, but it's just like it just something wasn't there. And like I feel like that was maybe some writing on the wall where it's like it might take a few matches for him to really get into it. And also, there's been a lot of criticism that you know Darwin Nunes will also kind of experience where the prolific kind of goal scoring that Erling Holland had in the Bundesliga is because, you know, the level of play is not as high as the Premier League. And even, I think Erlen Holling said himself, he's like, when I had to go up against Van Dyke, he just sort of popped up. I didn't see him. And he's just some, such like a huge man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I wasn't expecting that. So I think like little things like this, it might take him a little bit more time than people might anticipate with even such like a big transfer fee of Erling Holland coming in that it might take a couple games. And those couple games are huge because mm-hmm. if you remember from last season, Liverpool yeah, lost the title within like three points, like less than three points. Yeah. And this is because they dropped a game at the very, I think early part of the season, I think it was like a three, three draw against Brentford. And I was like, what the heck? And those <laughs> games, like those draws, those losses, even though it's one, two or three of them determine the title between these yeah. two teams. So I believe the two teams themselves, like Liverpool and Man City, I really don't think they really improved or really went down in terms of quality all that much as opposed to last season. I feel like they're relatively the same. Mm-hmm. But it's just, we're going to see how these new players kind of play and uh, how consistent they can be throughout the season. And that's going to determine who's going to get on top. And I feel like with Liverpool system, it might be a little easier in terms of just matching the physicality of the players that are brought in from Klopp rather than having Man City and like Erling Holland 
and Alvarez learn Pep Guardiola's high tiki taka style, which takes a few to really takes a few games, a few seasons to really get a hold of, and also having like a certain skill set to really get a hold of as well. Just having the high possession kind of tactic, it might take a few to really get into that. So I think. Those kind of slight nuances is why I have Liverpool edging out Man City for this one. And also on top of that, Man City, if they were to repeat another title, that'd be three in a row. Three seasons in a row. I'm like, that's a lot. It's really hard to repeat in general, but to do it three times in a row, I feel like that's a lot. I feel like they're the only team that have done it way back. I think. I think. Potentially. Or it's been only two beats. Um, Three. Yeah. Actually, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I know yeah. for at least for Manchester United too. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roast yes, but it's just also it's just like the, the level of quality between Manchester United back in the days versus like now. It's like Man United could win with like 80 points, but now these days you like you have to have like 97. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, bro, I don't know if Man City can do that three seasons in a row. I think it'll still be really close, and I still think it'd be a high 90s points total finish, but. That's what I have. Liverpool kind of edging out Man City for that. And then for three, I have Tottenham. Just because I know Antonio Conte, he's not great in the Champions League. But in the league itself, the Premier League, he's shown that he could be a champion. Whether it be in the Premier League with Chelsea or with Juventus in the Serie A. He always Mm -hmm. finds a way. And I feel like with this Tottenham side, when he came in after uh, Nuno Espirito Santos left last season, he basically brought this team into one of like the best teams in the league. And then they dropped off a little bit. And yeah. then I think at, with this transfer window, he brought in players that knows the system from Inter Milan, that knows that he knows how they play. And also that he kept Son and Kane. I feel like that's also really crucial because these are two, some of the best players in the league, like two of the best duos in the whole league in terms of goal scoring. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that firepower will be enough to keep them in the top four and most likely better than I feel like Arsenal and Chelsea in terms of school scoring the defense might be a little sus I'm not gonna lie but I think with that I I don't really like Richarlison myself I'm not gonna lie like (laughs) at Everton I feel like he was part of the reason why Everton was struggling in the relegation zone and for the price they got him for which is I think like above 50 million or something I was like what the heck (laughs) <laughs> and he scored only like seven goals or something ridiculous yeah but um i don't know it's just Richardson. he just really it's hard for him to also keep his cool and that little like chicken celebration dance kind of freaks me out but i don't know i think besides that they they still have kane son and kulisevsky as well so i was like okay yeah. they'll be fine but paris six is also gonna be an interesting one i think in the premier league fantasy league they like the app they deem him a set, like a defender so i don't know what that means oh yeah there was reports that he would be like left back he'd be basically like left wing back because he doesn't because then conte doesn't like um regulone or um what's his name the one that was playing ah uh, uh, what's tanganga no or... that, like he's also he wants him gone as well the um <laughs> romero no it's the uh the left back, oh, Emerson Royale. He also does not. Oh, Emerson Royale, not, okay. Yeah, he's not a fan of either three of those guys. So that's why Perisic is also kind of being like, they're going to bring like in a left, left wing back. <laughs> yeah, left wing back, essentially. Like Marcus Alonso-esque. Yeah, okay. And I guess besides that, I feel like Basuma should be all right. Mm-hmm. I, more than all right. He should be really good. And I also think yeah. Lungley, maybe the new 
the new environment might re rejuvenate him. He was like yeah. a pretty good player at the beginning of his time at Barcelona, but then he's just really dropped off since. But yeah, I mean, the competition in terms of defense at Tottenham is not really that great to begin with. But I think <laughs> if this was like a, you know, that car meme where it's like you have the front of a car, the middle of a car, the end of a car, and the front is like the forwards, the middle is like the midfield, and the back end is like the defense. Mm-hmm. I feel like the front and middle part, like Ferrari esque, like at least sports car esque up there. But then the defense has always been that rusted car. Like just, it's just something that's just kind of rotten. They have Hugo Lloris still in goal, who I still think yeah. is one of the top keepers in the, in the league. But it's just in front of him, it's, it's like a musical chair situation where it's just like they're all like okay, but it's just like none where it's like I probably would not really trust them to really build around this team. So mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe we'll see. But if these kind of players kind of come in and make too, a lot more difference, but I think it's still enough to keep them in third. That's a long answer for Tottenham. Yeah. But <laughs> for fourth, I have Arsenal. Arsenal, they have a whole documentary about them now on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I, I forgot what it's called, but all or nothing. it's still ongoing. Wait, what? All or nothing. Oh, yeah, all or nothing. All or nothing. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, I feel like there's a lot of insight for, like, what Arteta's vision is for the club. And it's been pretty clear from last season, too, after bringing in all those youth players, that he really wants to build his philosophy up. And he has some pretty insane tactics based on just what I've seen from the documentary. Yeah. Like him playing You'll Never Walk Alone during yeah, practice. the training session. <laughs> During training session, that's like UGA playing Dixieland Delight during training session, <laughs> which is like the Alabama theme song, I guess. But I think this is just going to build on top of the players he already has. And as you just mentioned, bring in Gabriel Jesus, kind of bringing in like Man City players, also Zinchenko. Arteta mentioned Zinchenko first as a like good number 10, which is mm. a little weird to kind of hear. And he also already yeah. has... Kieran Tierney, which is who's really good. I think he just might have some injury problems that might pop up yeah. here and there. And also, you know, Tomoyasu, he's two-footed, so he can play both. But I think they're going to still kick him out onto the right side, uh, right back. But I I have a lot of hope about them. I feel like Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, and Emil Smith-Rowe are going to take a big step up. They lost a few players as well. They lost Lacazette, who he wasn't really that player that they thought they got or they're gonna get yeah from leon he was always like a player yeah he never really panned out and i feel like also losing a bombing last season too it's like almost like a good riddance it's like they lost the two players that prolific handshake celebration they're both gone yeah and they have average jesus now and also fabio Vieira. i think he's more like a winger yeah yeah i forgot about him the young porto player um yeah the player they signed for porto who I haven't. I don't think he was part of their preseason, any of their preseason games. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to judge. I obviously I don't watch the Portuguese league, so I can't really. I have no eye test to really judge him off of. But I've heard from you know articles and stuff that he's a really young, like promising attacker. Kind of fits like this the scheme and mold that Mikel Arteta has, which is young, promising players and kind of slotting them in right away. Yeah, and I think. With that, like Porto also just got raided, just like all yeah. their youth players destroyed. But I think on top of that, it's just building more on just that that vision mm-hmm. that Arteta has, where it's just like a little mini Man City. Yeah. And oh, ironically, no. they brought in Man yeah. City players. How, how could so, I forget the uh, Matt Turner, uh, U.S. Men's National yeah, Matt Team goalkeeper, Turner, the goalie. is a backup. Will be backup for Aaron Ramsdale because they let Burnt Leno um, go on loan, or I think it was a, a permanent transfer to Fulham. 
So yeah, Matt Turner now going to be the backup goalie for uh, Arsenal, which for is Arsenal. pretty cool. Yeah, that's for me. I'm a little worried as a you know U- U.S. Men's National Team fan. It's just like both the starting keepers, like Zach Steffen and Matt Turner, are both just backups. I think yeah. Uh, Zach well, Zach Steffen's now at uh, Middlesbrough on loan. Yeah, he went okay, to Middlesbrough cool. for uh, hopefully uh, get some minutes. Yeah, hopefully, like he definitely needs. I. I don't know, I feel like um I feel like since the squad is so young, I feel like and Mikel Arteta are also in a bunch of competitions now. They're in Europa League, they'll have FA Cup, like, you know, League Cup and everything. I feel like it, there's mm-hmm. definitely gonna be opportunities where Matt Turner can get more consistent playing time um compared to last season where Arsenal were kind of only in the Premier League and just FA Cup and League Cup. Now that they're in like, you know, your Europa League again, I feel like there that opens the door for more rotation. Um, across the squad that's true that's the hope at least yeah and also on top of that they also got William Saliba so it's going to help them look a little better it's true (laughs) I feel like (laughs) William Saliba has been a player that Arsenal fans has kind of been asking for it's like why why they keep sending him out on loan he's I think he was the French league of young player of the year last season too yeah and he's he's been really good when he's played at league on that's why so many Arsenal fans have been wanting him but just keeps getting loaned back out and they're like, nah, we want we want Gabriel. <laughs> it's like <laughs> they want him first. I'm like, okay. But I think that's gonna be cool to have him in for this season. And hopefully that helps Matt Turner's job a little easier. Cause mm-hmm. you know, playing goalie, it's always like, man, I wonder how these goalies do so well when you play when you play in real life, it's like, man, you think about it, they only really have to save like three things that the defense is really good. If the defense yeah. is bad, it's like thirteen shots you have to save. But hopefully it'll make his job a little easier. And, you know, we'll see how the men's national team does later. But besides that, I feel like, despite all that, I feel like Arsenal's side, it's a really balanced side. It's just really young. And that's mm-hmm. the difference between why I have them fourth rather than third. I think next season, they'll make that step up and maybe compete more and kind of have more solidity in that top four. I think it's very close between them and Chelsea getting that last fourth spot. But Arsenal, I feel like they just have that little, little kick about them. You know, I think it's just enough to really kick them in. Mm-hmm. And then fifth, as I mentioned, Chelsea. Yeah. I thought they're going to be way worse after <laughs> that Roman Abramovich situation and the whole Russia deal where they couldn't get any transfers in. Everything was frozen. And then now they have like the LA Dodgers owner. And it's, I feel like the loss of certain players like Antonio Rudiger and mm-hmm. uh, Christian, Christian, not so much, but Rudiger, I feel like it's, these two center backs were such like a core identity. Like Aspilicueta is coming back, but I don't think he's really that good anymore. I feel like he's past his prime. But Rudiger, though, like he's such a big loss. And although they brought in Koulibaly from Napoli to take in the spot, I feel like it's still a step down a little bit. I still feel like that. And they still didn't really bring in any players to help score goals. They brought in Raheem Sterling, who... You know, on his day, we'll miss a sitter. <laughs> He'll make a lot of opportunities happen. And, you know, this is me speaking as, you know, watching him at Liverpool when he was there and also just seeing him just go ham at Man City. But it's also like Raheem Sterling, he makes a lot of chances. It's like, it's not the same as having a peer number nine. Like, if they mm-hmm. brought in like a Holland, then it'd be like a way different story. Obviously, a Holland's like a game changer, but they don't really have like a goal scorer still. And I feel like that yeah. story has been 
as you mentioned, Yush, like the bane of their existence for like the past several seasons. Ever since Diego Costa left, I felt like they still had this void where they still can't find a striker. And yeah, they've went from Morata to Iguain, Lukaku, uh, Werner. Like they've had everyone you could think of, and they just can't score mm-hmm. goals. And although I am a Kai Havertz stand, it's I don't think that's his forte. I think he's more like a center forward cam kind of player who plays a little bit behind the striker, maybe a little mm-hmm. deeper. That makes like those late runs, kind of like a Firmino. He's literally yeah. the closest thing to Firmino I can think of. Yeah, but I don't know. It's it's not really their style. Like Thomas Tuchel. It's a little bizarre because like he, there's so much promise with this team with like them making those two cup runs in the domestic cups, you know, ultimately losing to Liverpool and then also just having a lot of promise in like Champions League. But man, I don't know. It's just they're missing something and it's usually the goal scoring aspect. And mm-hmm. even now, thing the thing that was kind of solid about him, which was the defense, it was a little sus at times, even without Conte. Yeah, like in uh, Angolo Conte, but that kind of part of them, I don't know if it's going to be as strong, and that kind of worries me, which is why I put him in fifth. Although there's a Senegalese connection between Koulibaly and uh, Edward Mendy, I don't know if it's going to be enough, and yeah. I don't know if Koulibaly really is used to this three in the back situation yet either. And Thiago Silva is not getting any younger. Yeah, <laughs> man, man is very old now, so <laughs> that's why I think. Do they have Cucurella yet? Is it official they or is don't, it still? They don't, but it's pretty, pretty much like they, they, they'll they announce him in like the next coming days. It's, it's okay. basically as official as you can get. They're just waiting to officially announce him. Gotcha. Because those like, are I don't also... Know if, I don't think Cucurella is like a game changer. <laughs> game changer? You don't yeah. think Cucurella is going to be the game changer yet? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he'll the be a great addition because I think with Reese James, uh, basically as a right wing back, I think Cucurella mm-hmm. is a left wing back is better than They've Marcus Alonso. Well. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be, wow, this is going to take them to title contending, you know, status, you know? Yeah, I agree. But it's it's just so much about him. It's just like, man, what a weird squad. <laughs> they have so many wins and so many like CMs, but then just like very few strikers that really yeah. get the goals. Now very old center back core. So... We'll mm-hmm. see. But I think they're going to do a drop off there. Chelsea's going to be fifth. And then, of course, as we'll discuss, Manchester United in six. I just <laughs> feel like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me just being a little pessimistic against Dutch coaches coming into the Premier League with this kind of IX total football mentality where it, it'll take a, a few seasons to really get kind of get it down because, you know, with. The, the criticism I have of IX is that their academy products and their coaches, they all play the same football. Like growing up from the IX academy to playing the first team football, they all knew what total football was. It's like Johan Cruyff kind of football where it's just like everyone has the possession. It's just all like one touch. It's a little bit like a mini Tiki Taka almost, like a 4-3-3 kind of style. But, you know, not everyone came from IX. And the only players on that team from that IX kind of system – or like Erickson, uh, Martinez, and I, I guess you can say some of the other ear to BC players from that side have experienced it just from just playing it, but playing against it. But you know, not not that many. And I think it'll take a little bit of time. Also, just given Manchester United just been struggling the past couple seasons, although they finished second like a couple seasons ago, it's not like they can just bounce back. And then just seeing Ronaldo, kind of seeing this new kind of 
culture change, it's like it's gonna be so weird. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. gonna be somewhat political. Yeah. It's like what the heck's going on? And it's yeah. just so much chaos. I feel like despite Eric Ten Hag coming in, it's gonna take a few months, a few kind of games to really get a feel of how this team is doing. I really can't tell compared to the previous seasons because like now they went from like a really cool manager who's just friends of everyone to <laughs> Ralph Brandick, who just is like, this is how things are going to be. And then no one could really fit his style. And he's like, well, I have no plan B. So I guess we're just going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and then now it's Eric Ted Hogg, who's also more like Ralph Brandick, who's like, all right, this is how it's going to be. And everyone who can't do it is out. And yeah, now it's uh and then he brought in like his his squad of players so we're gonna see how this is gonna go and how it really will fare in the Premier League because if if you think about it I don't really know if there's many other teams even if you think of like mid-table teams or like you know relegation teams that really tried this attempt besides Frank DeBoer with Crystal Palace (laughs) so it's like it's gonna be an interesting experiment on top of that yeah I I have my yeah, I've had my expectations tempered, but I, I think most, if you were to ask most Manchester United fans, I think we're all pretty optimistic about the season just because last season was so bad. It's like it really can't get any worse than that. So <laughs> we're excited for what like this new season has to bring. And I think I, you know, like I said, I think we'll face some bumps down the road, but I also think we'll be in a position where we can actually, um, you know, get some results against some of the bigger sides in the Premier League and, you know, not be such like a walk in the park and be more organized and just be more, yeah, basically be more organized as a team and not be so individualistic, which I think is going to be a, a plus side altogether going into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a pretty, that was a pretty comprehensive top six right there. So Tyler had Liverpool city, Tottenham, mm-hmm. Arsenal, Chelsea, and Manchester United in that order. Um, and then mm-hmm. now I guess it probably just makes sense to go to the relegation fight. To be honest, be totally clear i don't know too much about the teams that i've picked for the relegation fight because unlike previous years just we're all busy at least for me i'm busy i don't have a lot of time to practice up and study up on like all the teams but just from uh just kind of knowledge from other people as well and just kind of reading articles here and there i think my list um the reason i picked them is just I can't give like a full on backing, but, um, you know, just kind of gut feeling. I have Fulham because they're the Norwich. They're just another yo-yo club. I think they're just going to struggle again. Um, and then I have Forrest in here, Nottingham Forest. I think newly, re- uh, newly promoted side. Usually, you know, it can go one or two ways. You get a big bump and you end up doing really well, or you just kind of struggle a lot. I think they're going to be in the struggle um, phase. And then I have Brentford because they have the second season blues. They lost Christian Eriksen, which is a huge player to lose. And I think, um, yeah, I just think they're going to f- kind of face that second season hump that we saw Leeds face where they almost got relegated but managed to sneak their way into staying in the Premier League. And I think for Brentford, they're going to face the same trouble, but I don't know if they're going to get the same luck um, to kind of sneak away and stay in the Premier League again. So I have Fulham Forest and Brentford um, for my relegation relegation teams. I, I am very close with your same three, but I have Fulham, <laughs> Bournemouth, and oh, it's, it's hard to say, but Southampton. Southampton, <laughs> it was, I'll, I'll, I'll put those last. I'll say that one last. Okay, but Fulham, I agree with you. It's like a YOLO, yo, yo-yo club where yeah. they'll never face Norwich because they're just going to keep flipping <laughs> back and forth between the championship and the Premier League, all, like alternate. So it'd be like, all right, you're last, and then 
it'd be like Fulham's 20th and then Norwich is first and they flip and then next season it'll be Fulham getting first and then Norwich getting 20th so that's just gonna happen again I don't think Alexander Mitrovic is gonna get his 40 goals like he did in the championship I think something we mentioned at the very end of last season I think he's gonna do really well at the beginning of the season yeah get some goals and then he's just gonna drop off (laughs) Mm mm-hmm so I think that's just what gonna, what's going to happen. It's going to be like a Timo Pukki situation. And then my second club I have is Bournemouth. I I just don't think there's enough players on that side that are quality enough to really stay in the Premier League. They didn't really make enough transfers that really were notable that I could really... that of Players I really actually even knew. I was just like, I don't know. I, unless you can overcome that with good managerial tactics, which they don't have any how anymore. I don't know. They can do it again. You know, they still have Solanke, but I'm just like, mm. you couldn't really cut it for Liverpool. I don't know if he can cut it again for Bournemouth. So I think they're going to go down just because of just the lack of quality overall with the squad. It just feels mm-hmm. like a championship side already. And we'll just see if they can survive. <laughs> and then finally, Southampton. Southampton was a hard one for me to pick just because Hasen there is other Hoodle. options. Yeah, there's, you know, Hazen Hoodle, you know, he's, he's such a, like a hit or miss kind of manager was like he'll win a game big against you know <laughs> well, he like Liverpool, Liverpool and then freaking loses 9-0 to like Leicester or something it's like what the heck he lost 9-0 so, to Manchester United that too I was like bro <laughs> what is going on never forget and, he got um, he was in tears after beating Klopp uh, as we call was. him the great He's, value Klopp the great value Klopp and ever since then they just they're never the same <laughs> the rest of the season <laughs> But sneakily, their goal difference, their goals scored and goals conceded were about the same as Everton last season. They're Mm -hmm. just a lot more quiet about it because Everton had to make that great escape, which is some BS, but they managed to pull it (laughs) off. And Southampton also lost uh, Broja, which is the, uh, I believe he's like the Armenian player who was on loan from Chelsea. One of their like main goal scorers, and there he's gone. And they were basically replaced him and a few other stri- uh, forwards with kind of more prospect players. And I know Southampton has a really good academy for developing players like this. You know, we can just have like a huge list. You can just pop it in right here <laughs> of just all yeah. the players that they produced. They're like Premier League players. You know, like Theo Walcott, Gareth Bale, Oxlade. Let's go, Shaw. Luke yeah. Shaw, but. I don't know if this is going to be enough to keep them in the Premier League, especially this quickly, and especially with this amount of players that they're bringing in. It's like if you play FIFA career mode and you just bought all the players that had a potential of 90, but you bought them at a rating of like 66, and I feel like that's what they're doing this season right now. I don't. I feel like it's really dangerous to do, and they're not going to be real Premier League proven commodities yet, and I feel like that will be enough to get them relegated unfortunately i think it's just too mm-hmm. many changes that are, are kind of high risk all at once yeah and that's fair it's really close with them at like nottingham forest and everton i feel like in terms of like that last relegation spot i feel like nottingham yeah. forest has done enough to really bring in a lot of players this transfer window and they brought they brought messy lingard so i that alone and dean <laughs> henderson i feel like are enough and also they're just like a team like Leeds. they're just have so much history that I feel like that the vibe alone is going to keep them in and mm-hmm. Everton who knows Frank will probably get fired Frank Lampard's probably yeah. going to get fired and he then will be get okay. fired he will get fired 
has looked, <laughs> and then they they looked awful in preseason. Like they looked absolutely. Yeah, they awful lost to Minnesota United, dude. Yeah, like you you don't think you could get worse from last season, but they got worse, and he will definitely get fired in the middle of the season. No, all respect uh, to you know Minnesota, but this is a yeah. Premier League side. They lost four yeah, 0 They brought in like some. They had some big players on tour playing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's a mess of a squad right uh, now. Kind of sus, kind of sussy, not bussy, but yeah, as my friends would say. But I think this <laughs> is going to be a little rough. I think it's going to be musical chairs for that last relegation spot, but I think it's going to be Southampton. But yeah, those are fair. my three. I think, uh, I think I saw some other people kind of put Southampton as like a dark horse, dark horse to get uh, relegated. I know I used to have them <laughs> dark horse as a relegation. Dark horse. <laughs> yeah, I remember I had them. Uh, I think it was maybe three or four seasons ago at this point. I, I genuinely thought they were going to get relegated. And that, that was a season where they actually did really decent. Um, and that's mm. how I was like, okay, I'm going to stop picking Southampton because they somehow always managed to pull through. But oh, um, I will say the, this is the, I think this is the first preseason prediction. I did not put Crystal Palace as a relegation team. <laughs> yeah, you've always just, had them. I always have them, but, but I don't see Zaha doing leaving. some good stuff. <laughs> Freaking Vieira. Vieira, he's doing some I'm good stuff. I'm very surprised he did that. Like they did really yeah. well last season. Yeah, for my expectations, and I feel yeah, like they actually have some really good players, to be honest, too. Like yeah, Eze. like Eze. Um, They also have another and young youngster. Um, forgetting the name, but he also did really well. Mitchell, uh, I think so. Back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they. I Patrick Vieira is doing a really good job there. So I think Crystal Palace are safely going to be in the. I think they're league. just going to be. Like fourteenth, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As per usual, but, but that uh, I think it's a good transition into kind of a f- little fun section right here. Just kits. We kind of added it last season. I think last season was the first time we ever did it, but kind of bringing it back for the, this season. We're gonna start off with like the best home and away kits. Um, I'll give my best home. So it was a tie between Crystal Palace or Manchester United, but I'm gonna go with Crystal Palace. Because if you haven't seen their kit, you gotta you gotta take a look at it because it is just a nice, just a nice, great design. I, I wouldn't say it's a simple design. It's just a great. I, it's almost like a, like almost like zigzag of like red and blue, and you kind of have like the white mm-hmm. um, little shoulder. They're not, I guess, shoulder cuffs like the um, sleeve cuffs yeah, yeah. almost. The sleeve uh, cuffs. Little, yeah, little white part. There. It's just it almost it's like a combination of like that. Um, that 2017-18 Liverpool home kit where it was like that really dark red with yeah, the little white, the white sleeves. Yeah, it was just a nice, great, like simple look. And Crystal Palace brought it back with them, but they also threw in the Crystal Palace kind of twist, which was like the red and blue infusion. And it just looks really nice. And they did a really good job with their home kit. So I have to give it to Crystal Palace for the best home, home jersey this season. Mm. It looks like they're... Their stripes are like kind of like markers if you just like mm-hmm. squiggle down. So that's pretty cool. It's very unique as opposed to the usual like yeah, kind great of value Barcelona. Like striped. <laughs> yeah. Like striped. It's like, is it Barcelona or Crystal Palace? It's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I, I'm going to, I guess mine's kind of surprising because I picked Manchester United to have the best home kit for the season. Let's go. I know it's a little rough for the audio listeners for this part, but you just gotta you just gotta Google as we as we speak. But I I really like I don't know the hot take too. I just like the collar that that I, I like, I'm a big has. fan of collared. I'm a big fan of collared collared kits. It looks really retro, which is also something mm-hmm. I really like. It looks yeah. It still has that ugly team viewer 
logo <laughs> in the front, but I think the rest of the kit is really clean. And yeah, if it's this, I feel like Adidas has like this kind of style for the season with like the Arsenal kit too, where it's the like retro style as a collar and like little retro kind of eighties or nineties kind of collar. Right, eighties, nineties too 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 far back. More like early two thousands. Yeah, it's like a, I like that. I I I, I like. I was a big fan of the Manchester United home kit. I really like the little design on the collar as well because they haven't had a collared kit since the uh, 2017-18 home kit, which I think mm-hmm. was one of the best like Chevrolet kits they put out. And <laughs> Chevrolet like, since kits, it, yeah, like since the, <laughs> one of the best like since Chev- like when Chevrolet was a sponsor, that I think that was the best kit. And also since Adidas has been Manchester United's kit sponsor, I think that was one of the mm-hmm. best ones, and it had a collar with it. Okay, well. Much to my chagrin, Manchester United best home kit. <laughs> Man, I can't look at this anymore. It's just yeah. it makes me sad. Well, I, I will take oh. that back. They didn't have collar. It had the buttons on it, which kind of gave the illusion. Oh of a collar. yeah, yeah. Like I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, I also like that as well. I think it just it just makes it a little bit more adds a little bit of flair to it compared to a normal yeah. normal one. But I do like that pick, Tyler. I'm not going to complain about it. But for the best away <laughs> one, I have to go with my team, which is Manchester United. Just a clean, uh, just a nice clean white kit as an away kit. They hadn't had, they hadn't had like an away white kit since I believe 2014, 15 or 2015, 16. So it's actually been a decent amount of time since Manchester United have like an, had a nice clean white away kit. And I just love this one. It just looks really nice. It has that nice little design on the collar, like the red and white, um, kind of like, I guess rectangles. Um, and it just, it's very clean and I enjoy like the crest, the way the crest is. It's just not the simple crest on it. It's kind of got, it's got the same type of design as the home kit with the little um, pennant, little flag thingy. And it's in black and it just looks, just looks really nice. I yeah. I like it. It just, the colors all mash well and just a nice look, nice looking Jersey. I want to see what it looks like in person. Like in the yeah. pictures, you know, it looks like one thing, but then in person it's like, Hmm. <laughs> we'll see but I, I, like and on the pictures it does look really nice i'm just like hmm i wonder it looks like on like a normal person <laughs> like that's a true test white jerseys a little more difficult to really rock so that's why i'm also like hmm, we'll see <laughs> but for me my best away kit is uh the arsenal away kit the black one it has like i i just really like that it has the arsenal cannon on it as their badge it doesn't have like mm. the full arsenal logo it just has their like little cannon yeah and i like how for at least the color it's i like more darker color so like all black is pretty nice and they have like little kind of triangular designs on it it's a little kind of abstract to talk about it's like if i went to an art museum it's like oh yes i like this painting because it has these particular shapes and different tones but it's true like this one is just a little artsy for uh, a basically a soccer kit and it just kind of pops that kind of Emirates, like Emirates, I feel like it's a good, it's a decent uh, logo or yeah, I guess logo to have on a jersey. And it's just everything about it, it's just it all kind of meshes well, as opposed yeah. to some of the other jerseys we're going to talk about. But for me, <laughs> for an Arsenal away kit, I think even last season, I think Arsenal's away kit was the one I picked for the best away kit as well. Yeah, so they've, they've released some really good jerseys since Adidas has taken over. Maybe I'm just a big Arsenal kit fan. Yeah. I mean, they are KFC <laughs> or have been, have FC, been KFC man. for a while, but Gosh. I like that. I, I am also mm-hmm. a big fan of the Arsenal's because I, like, I also enjoyed Manchester United's black 
Adidas jerseys when they had them a couple of seasons back because um, those are also kind of like a very clean style as well. So big fan of Arsenal's uh, black jerseys as well. And now finally, the ugliest kits. Um, I'm going to start it off. I have uh, Everton home. Just, you know, just not a really good look because the the company logo, stake.com, just is not Steak. a very... Yeah, stake.com just doesn't look... Doesn't, <laughs> it just doesn't... Like, the logo just does not look well in a jersey. And, yeah, that's that's primarily... Like, I think we've had this discussion before. The, the sponsor can make or break a jersey. And, unfortunately for Everton, the sponsor broke this one. Dude, it's literally a meme, man. If they get relegated because <laughs> of stake.com, I mean... It's tough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a double whammy. Gosh, dang. Well... I feel like my pick for ugliest home kit, is, uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a surprise. I actually think it's a <laughs> Liverpool home kit is the worst, or I should say ugliest home kit, because I I have some beef right now, because if you are a person trying to buy a Liverpool kit right now, there's two versions you can get. You can get like the authentic version, which in the US is like 165 bucks, or you can get like the replica, which is like 90 bucks. The difference between those it's so drastic in terms of the quality of the jersey and also like what the pattern design is. Like the $90 one, which is the one that everyone probably gets, is like a red jersey. Like just like a default, like there's no design on it. It looks like one you just get off a rack from like an outlet mall for like 20 bucks <laughs> and they slapped on the logos on it or like the crest standard charter, the Nike logo. And then it's just like boom, 90. And like it feels like a tired job. It feels like it's, you know, every once in a while you have to have like just a solid red kit. You know, I believe that. But it's just like the difference between just the replica and the authentic. And even the authentic one, it still looks like just a regular plain red jersey. Like there's not too much special about it. Like there are some slight patterns and textures on that jersey in particular. If you kind of zoom in and kind of feel the jersey itself. But it's just not enough, I feel like, to really feel like they did a good job on it. It just feels too plain. It's like, what the heck? This is not even like a minimalist would be upset with this. <laughs> it's like, it's, and then just where they have the, the, the stitch lines on the jersey itself, it's just also just kind of whack. It's just, the, it's in between the chest and the shoulders. It's just, everything about it just seems a little off. And that's why I think it's not this one. It's just, Something off about it, just always, and just the replica kit is just the, the cherry on top, just to send it over. It's just like, man, I usually like I have to get the jersey. It's my team, but it's just <laughs> yeah. like, man, it does not feel worth it. It's like, what the heck? I could just go, just get a regular red T-shirt, and it's like almost the same. <laughs> it's like this one, what the deuce. So that's that's my spiel for uh, mm-hmm. the Liverpool home kit for this season. Yeah, you Gosh, hate to see it. <laughs> you hate to see it. You hate to see it. But- I hate to see it. Um, ugliest away for me, I got Manchester City. I think they, I, I actually don't mind their home kit. I think their home kit is not too bad. Um, they're this season, but their away kit, the the red, I, I understand they're going back for like that retro red and black look, but I mean, come on. At that point, Manchester's already red, and you're just kind of provoking that with the red and black kit right here. Um, and then their third kit, which is like a neon green, also looks awful as well. So, yeah, Puma has not done them any service this season and actually past seasons because their kits have just been awful for a probably good, decent couple of years now. Um, yeah, consecutive I agree. years now. 
like it's like especially bad this season it's like <laughs> <laughs> like what the heck happened but i i feel like for me it's not too far different from who i think is the worst away kit and i think it's actually tottenham's i just think some, <laughs> they're going more for like a yeah, style where it's like you know really you have the bad. crest the logo all in the middle everything's in the middle but it's just since Nike also is right now using like a very like, a, a, you know, not only Nike, but also like Adidas as well. They kind of have like one kind of layout for all the jerseys. Right. And then, you know, because like if you look at the Arsenal home and the Manchester United home, it's like same color, same kind of patterns. And for the Nike kits, it's also kind of relatively the same where it's like, you know, every jersey is like same stitch lines across the chest, same kind of patterns, things like that. But just the color they have for this one, the Tottenham kit, it just looks like it an away or it's an away kit that looks like a training kit like a yeah. pre-match top and i'm <laughs> like what the heck and it's just the colors they picked for yeah. too are just the neon so ugly <laughs> yeah the neon looks is like, not doing it for me it looks like something you put on a shoe rather than like a shirt if that makes sense it's just like mm-hmm. the colors it's, yeah it's it's a shirt that has a particular colorway that you know go on sale because no one would buy it <laughs> and it's also a Tottenham kit, so it's probably so probably gonna go on sale because of that. But gosh dang, that yeah, not a fan, not a fan. I'm sorry, not Nike, but it's just the season's just kind of rough on the jerseys. Yeah, <laughs> what the it's heck tough. happened? Yeah, I I, oh, I agree with you. The Tottenham away kit is just it's not good, especially because was the last year where they had the pure white away kit. Yeah, or was that their home kit? I can't remember, but they they've had oh clean yeah, yeah kits that was the past. last year. They had clean kits in the past, but this one is just not very good. There's too much going on, and like I said, or like you said, I, I I think it kind of the color pattern kind of resembles something you see on a on a football boot or a like just a pair of shoes, like athletic shoes, rather than like a jersey. If you get yeah, me. yeah, so it's oh I can't look at this. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, 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 God. yeah, yeah, the ugly kids make it make Tyler react like that, and I, I don't blame them because they're pretty bad. But um, yeah, that kind of wraps up the ugliest kit part or their kit portion of the, the the show, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, that was uh, our, I guess, com- I guess, comprehensive preview of the upcoming season. Um, obviously. We're not going into depth with all the teams, as you kind of know from last season. We've kind of made that switch to kind of focus on our on our two sides. But given that it is the Premier Pod preview, we felt it was appropriate to bring up some of these other teams that are in the big six and uh, kind of figure out where they're going to be at this next season. We're excited. Um, it's going to be a fun season, especially because the World Cup is happening. A break's going to be happening. But a lot of new changes have been coming to the Premier League, new faces, new managers. Uh, it's just going to be a fun season, um, and I and I hope it lives up to kind of the hype that last season did, where we have two teams kind of balloting out uh, for the title, and it's not just some one horse race, and we get a lot of teams, a lot of intrigue, and yeah, I think it'll be a really fun season. Um, as always, as we kick off this New Year's, as we always say, you can follow us at the Premier Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can also watch the video version of this podcast at the premiere pod on YouTube. You can feel free to leave us comments or any questions you may have on social media. You can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram. Be sure to get back to you on there. But yeah, thanks again um, for watching. You can also follow this um, podcast on Apple podcasts or any of your podcasting 
platforms of choice, Spotify, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts, we're on there. Uh, please, if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a review and rating. It helps us out. It gets us boosted out to more people. If not, taking the time to listen is more than enough. Um, so we appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for sticking with us for five seasons as we kick off season five right here. But yeah, that kind of wraps up season five, episode 146 of the Premiere Pod. Peace. Peace.